Thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. Our sermon series is called Rhythms of the Soul, and we're exploring some of the habits and practices that connect us with God. We believe that you can have a walking, talking relationship with God, and this series is all about helping you do just that. We pray you find this sermon helpful in some way. Feel free to reach out by emailing us at hello at tablechurchdsm.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Today's scripture reading is from Psalm chapter 119, verses 97 through 105. It says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all of my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Table Church. It's great to have you here today. And uh, yeah, I sound like a radio DJ for a jazz station, um, which I probably would love to do for at least one day and talk about all my favorite cuts by Miles Davis and Chick Corea and Valonius Monk. But that's not why we're here. Thanks for coming. I'm Phil Wiseman. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, hopefully we can suffer through this together. I don't Hopefully it's not that miserable for you. Um, so 1,600 years ago, a man named Augustine was in a state of confusion and despair. He had everything he thought he wanted. He's literally a genius. He was successful in his field. He had a mistress, but a life of indulgence had left him empty. One day, While feeling particularly miserable, he decided to go on a walk in the garden. As he was on this walk, he could hear a child's voice singing from a nearby house, and the sounds came to him, and he could make out the words. The words the child was singing were these words, take up and read, take up and read. He assumed that this was a divine command coming to him to take up the Bible and to read it. He says it this way. He says, damning the torrent of my tears, I got to my feet for I could only think that this was a divine command to open the book and read the first passage I should light upon. And so taking a Bible, Augustine read the first verse he saw, which was Romans 13, verses 13 and 14, which says, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And of course, this fired a missile right into the heart of the way that Augustine had been living all of this time. And now he had bounced from different worldviews, philosophies, and sects as he was searching for, I guess, ultimate answers to life's biggest questions. And in this moment, he knew that the God of the universe had spoken to him. In fact, I think we could probably say that that particular verse, at that particular time, there was no verse in the Bible that it would have been more meaningful to him in that very moment. And so he became a Christian in that moment, and he would eventually become one of the greatest theological and philosophical influences ever to live. The way that you and I think about the world is largely influenced by this man, Augustine. 
Today we begin a new sermon series called Rhythms of the Soul, and we're talking about something called spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are simply practices that we engage in where God can transform us. And the discipline we're talking about today is reading scripture. We're going to talk about other things like prayer and generosity and worship as well. Today we're talking about scripture. As we just saw with Augustine, the Bible is not just an ordinary book. The Bible can change your life. In fact, at nearly every major intersection in my own life, there lies an encounter with Scripture where God got a hold of me in a significant way. I mean, they're not always as, always as dramatic as Augustine's, but I can tell you about the time where as a college freshman, I was feeling particularly low about the way I was being treated as a Christian on that campus at a state school. I crawled up into my loft and I started reading my Bible as all I knew to do. I remember I was reading in the book of Exodus that day, but something in my heart told me to go to James. I don't know if anything like that has ever happened to you where you know you're supposed to go do a particular thing. Something in me said, go to James. And so I did. In fact, my Bible basically fell open in one flip of the pages. It went right to the book of James. And if you, if, you may not know this, but Exodus and James are at two opposite ends of the Bible. There's a lot of pages in between there. It fell right open to James, and the first verse that my eyes fell upon was, was this, James 1.12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, 1,600 years after Augustine, there was me having this moment with my Bible, and I don't think any other verse would have been more appropriate for me in that moment. I can't tell you I can't fully communicate just how perfect that verse was for me at that time. But to this day, I'm convinced there's no other verse in all the scripture that I needed more than that one right there. All this to say, I'm pretty passionate about this subject because God has transformed my life through scripture. I love the Bible. I get tired of other parts of my job. Everybody does. But every Monday morning, I get to walk into my office and I get to say, okay, blank slate. What are we going to talk about this week? I love teaching the Bible. Why? Because the words of Scripture have the power to transform your life. I know this because it's happened to me. Time and time again, God has spoken to me through his word, and that's something I want everybody to experience. And so my goal today is this. I want to show you how to have a relationship with Scripture that is not only informative, but transformative. I want you to not only learn to read the Bible for information, but we must learn to read the Bible to be transformed, to encounter God in it. That's the whole point. Now, I know all the excuses people use for not reading the Bible. I've heard them all. You know, it's boring. I don't have time. It's confusing. I don't understand it. On and on we go. Listen, I get it. In fact, I would say this. Uh, I don't care how many degrees in Bible you get. That stuff's never going to go away. The more I learn about scripture, the more I realize I don't know. There's an infinite well here for us to mine. And there's all sorts of things. There's kind of bound contextually in their culture and stuff like that. And that's why we have theologians and Bible scholars and historians to help us kind of unpack some of these things. Um, I get it. Like it's, it's sometimes very confusing. But you know what? When I hear people tell me that the Bible's too confusing and so they don't read it, I want to call, call foul on that sometimes. Because, you know, there's a whole lot in the Bible that isn't very confusing. There's a whole lot in the Bible that's pretty easy to understand, quite honestly. In fact, let's play a little game. 
I like to call this Bible roulette. So I wouldn't recommend this as your usual approach to Bible reading, by the way. But uh, we're going to limit ourselves maybe to the New Testament epistles because, honestly, leading, reading some of those narratives, we'd be here all day. But I'm just going to open to a, a random passage, put my finger on the Bible, and we'll see what it says and see if there's anything we can understand out of that. Sound good? Here we go. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, uh, verse 4. It says, Lord, The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. That's not bad. I mean, look, there's a whole lot to unpack in that particular verse, right? I could preach a whole sermon on that. We could write books on that. There's also plenty in there that you can just kind of understand. Oh, wow. Uh, Jesus gave himself for my sins. Why? Well, to rescue me from the present evil age. In other words, Jesus died for me so that I might be able to live with him, free from sin. Okay, so that was, that was too easy, right? Let's see what else we can do here. Here we go, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9. Um, it says, well, actually, we'll go back to verse 8 so that we get the whole sentence. Maybe you've heard this one before. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Look, I didn't plan this out ahead of time. This, is even, this isn't even my Bible, actually. Um, I'm going to give this to Layla, who's getting baptized later. Uh, so, uh, look, yeah, you don't save yourself. That's the point of that verse, right? This is too much fun. I'm going to do it again. It's like sermon on demand. Uh, I, that's the one I just did, uh, Galatians. Let's try another one. Uh, okay, here we go. First Timothy. Uh, oh, man. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I didn't, this is not a joke. Um, let's do a different one. There's a lot going on there. That's one of those, that's one of those ones that you do need the context in order to properly understand. Okay, let's see, let's try one more. Okay, I can't end on that. All right, uh, Titus, okay, here we go. Titus 1, verse 4, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. Grace and peace from God the Father. I mean, that's something we could all use in our lives, right? I hope that you understand what I'm trying to do with this silly little exercise. Obviously, I took a little risk there. Uh, but the point is that more often than not, there's something in the Bible that you can understand and apply now. There's something there that you can take away. And so let's just get rid of that excuse that it's too hard. It's too confusing. There's so much there that you can understand. The Bible could fall open to something and you could get it. Again, that's not what I'd recommend as your usual approach to reading scripture. I would encourage you to do study, to find some good commentaries. We can talk about that. In fact, I'll give you some resources at the end today. Uh, but you can start to encounter God in scripture today. It doesn't take a Bible degree. It doesn't take all this previous knowledge. Every verse will open more questions, but every verse will also have something for you. All right. In my mind, there are three big ways we misuse scripture, and we want to talk about those real quick, and then we'll get on to the ways we should use scripture. Three big ways we misuse scripture. Number one, as a, when we use it as a weapon. Number two, when we use it as a textbook. And number three, when we use it as a pacifier. All right, so number one, we use the Bible as a weapon when we try to tear down people. We try to put them down, we try to draw lines to keep people out and to make sure we're in, that kind of stuff. That's how we use the Bible as a weapon. We use the Bible as a textbook and we try to force it into our, like our modern scientific historical understanding of how things should be. The Bible was written a long time ago. It has different assumptions about the world, that kind of thing. 
And uh, so we don't want to use the Bible as a textbook. It's a word of life to us. And number three, we shouldn't use the Bible as a pacifier. And what I mean by that is a lot of times we only read the parts that make us feel good about ourselves, but we leave out the parts that challenge us. The goal is not to feel better. The goal is to become holy. And sometimes that's a refining process. Sometimes God has things to say to us uh, that require us to be purged of sin or to be refined and that kind of thing. And so look, there's ways we can read the Bible that are wrong, but there's also ways to read the Bible that are right. I want to talk about some of those, and we're going to use Psalm 119 as our guide today. Number one, we use the Bible as a source of wisdom. The psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate, it, I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. Look, we're in a world where information is more widely accessible than ever, but wisdom is more difficult to find. In fact, it seems to me that the pursuit of information has almost entirely eclipsed the pursuit of wisdom. We're not interested in wisdom anymore. What's wisdom? Wisdom is about moving beyond mere information and learning how to live in a way that aligns with ultimate truth. It's not just trying to get facts about the world. It's trying to live in a way. Notice that it's practical. Wisdom is about how we embody our existence. It's how we live out in the world. Wisdom is practical. And it's about aligning that with what's really true, the deepest truths of the universe. Now, by ultimate truth, I mean we got to move beyond the questions of how. Like, okay, how does that work? Or what is that made of? Those are important questions. But we need to move to questions of why. Why are we here? What is our ultimate purpose? What lies beneath the things that we can see? These questions, these ultimate questions will inevitably lead somebody to wonder if there's a God, what happens after we die, what the good life actually looks like. These are questions about more than just information. These are questions about how we live. These impact the way that we live in the world. Now, if you believe that the universe is just an accidental mass of chemicals and electricity, you know, that will impact your understanding of how to live. That will impact your understanding of what a good life looks like and what the point of this all is. But if you believe in an all-powerful, loving God who is working to redeem the world by dwelling among the poor and by dying for the sake of creation, well, that also impacts the way that you live your life. You see, wisdom is searching out the answer for those ultimate questions, but not stopping there. A lot of us stop there. We love to think about things and get all philosophical. Wisdom is going the next step and applying it, living in accordance with that truth. In fact, the Bible talks about not just a wise person. The Bible also talks about the opposite of a wise person. The opposite of a wise person is a fool. A fool is someone who doesn't bother with those big questions or maybe just thinks about them but doesn't actually apply them. They're good for just like living for the here and now, for just looking at two feet in front of their face. They can cordon themselves off from those big questions in the universe. They don't really need to bother with it. But the Bible gives us answers to how we should order our lives. And when the psalmist wrote that he meditates on the law day and night, he's saying that he's learning how to order his life in light of who God is. He's saying that the scriptures hold the key for living a life that is anchored in ultimate truth. Scripture tells us why we're here. We represent God to the world. What's it say in Genesis? It says that God made us in his image. That's why we're here. We represent God to the world. We're his image bearers. The scripture tells us where we're going. 
It says that we're going to live with God forever in the new creation. The scripture tells us what our purpose is. Our purpose is that God's project of redeeming the world has started. He's recreating this world now, and he wants us to be a part of that project. The Bible tells us what a good life looks like, a life that walks with God in trust and faithfulness. These are the kinds of things when we read scripture. We can move from information to actual wisdom. The second way we should read scripture is as a source of correction. It says in verse 101, I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. The day I wrote this sermon, I write my sermons a few weeks in advance. The day that I wrote this sermon was the day after the slap heard around the world where Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. And uh, of course the internet internet went crazy for a few minutes. And um, I remember there was all these debates. We were debating ethics for a while. We were having some high level ethics discussions there. Um, and there was all about like, well, what, what should he have done? Was it okay for Will Smith to slap Chris Rock on live TV? Was it okay for Chris Rock to say that joke? What should we have done in that situation? And you know, you might notice, we always debate about what should happen in a particular situation. It always gets framed in an either-or sort of fashion, and there's actually a name for this. It's called situational ethics. It's where we try to figure out what the right thing to do in a given situation is. And that's the way we almost all think about ethical dilemmas. We always think, okay, well, if somebody breaks into your house, what do you do? We have a situational ethic mindset. But I think the Bible actually takes us somewhere else ultimately when we read the Bible as a whole. It, it, it calls us to think about um, living well in a different sort of way. It calls us, I'll just put it like this, the Bible doesn't just want to change our actions. It wants to change the kind of person we are. In other words, we can debate all day about what should be done in a particular situation, but you know what? You won't know what to do in a situation until you become the kind of person who is good. Theologian Stanley Harwas says this. He says, the question, what ought I to be, precedes the question, what ought I to do? He's saying the first thing that we should think or ask is, what kind of person do I need to be? Because once you become that kind of person, that has a big impact on the way you'll naturally behave in any given situation. Also, it has a big impact on the kind of situations you'll be in in the first place. Let me give you an example. When I drive by a bank, I don't look at that bank and think, should I rob that bank? That doesn't cross my mind. I'm not like, ooh, I'm really tempted to rob this bank. No, that doesn't happen. There are people in the world who will drive by banks and be like, huh, I think I could rob that bank. There's people like that. So what's the difference here? It's not a matter of the situation. It's not like all of a sudden a bank appearing presents me with a moral dilemma. I am the kind of person who would not rob a bank. And there are people who are the kind of people who would rob banks. That changes the situation entirely depending on what kind of person you are who you've been formed to be. The Bible wants us to become people who are like Jesus. And when we become more and more like Jesus, the situational questions, ethical debates that we have largely get answered. We no longer need to ask, well, what would you do if this happened? You'll just know because you'll be in the situation like a Jesus person and you'll act like Jesus does. That's the kind of thing the Bible's trying to get us to. And so if there's a takeaway for Christians from what happened at the Oscars, it's not to be found in the debates around who was more wrong, 
between Will Smith and Chris Rock, the debate can't be solved because, you know, arguing it at that level is arguing it from a value system that we don't have. The takeaway is for us to ask ourselves, well, how do I become the kind of person who responds like Christ when someone insults somebody I love? Particularly in light of his command to turn the other cheek. How do I become the kind of person who uses my words to build others up, not tear them down, like Paul tells us to do? God's word is what shapes us. It's what corrects us. It molds us into the kind of people we're supposed to be. You can't live the Christian life without lots of exposure to scripture. And you know what? This 30 minutes right here ain't enough. God wants to mold you and fashion you to the kind of person that you don't have to ask the question. You just naturally do the thing that God would want you to do. You've been formed. And that's what the power of scripture has. The third way that we can read the Bible is as a connection to God. The psalmist says, I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. Before we planted Table Church, Natalie and I helped start a different church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. That church was a huge success within a short time. Thousands of people were worshiping there across multiple campuses. It was pretty cool. I got to be the worship leader for much of that time, which meant I got to be on the platform a lot. And we were there for 10 years. You know, we eventually started to discern, uh, maybe there's another thing for us out there. And we started to pray about what that could look like. We didn't know Table Church was on the horizon yet. But I remember I was at a park one morning doing my devotions at a picnic table. It was a nice morning. I thought, I'm going to take my Bible and read outside. And that's what I did. I read Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. This is where Jesus begins to preach the Sermon on the Mount. But I noticed something about that verse that I'd never noticed before. Here's what it says. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, when I think about the Sermon on the Mount, I've often assumed, well, Jesus preached this sermon to thousands of people. And so when it says that he went up on the mountainside, well, naturally, he's going up the mountain in order to get a little elevated so that he can project so all the thousands of people can hear him. You know, kind of like I'm standing up on a stage, well, that was Jesus' stage. That's what I've assumed about the Sermon on the Mount. But when I read that verse that day, something, something jumped out at me, and I noticed something. It says he went up and sat down. When he saw the crowds, he went up and sat down. His disciples came to him. I started to realize, okay, and I've since read this. Multiple Bible scholars have corroborated this. Jesus went up on the mountainside not to preach to the crowds. He went up there to escape the crowds. He went up there to get away from the crowds. And his disciples, his 12 disciples came to him and they sat down. And that was who Jesus preached to. Listen, the greatest sermon in history was preached to only 12 people. And in that moment, I could, I could sense God saying something significant to me that I've carried with myself for a long time. And it was this. He said, Phil, your most important ministry will not be to crowds. I can't tell you how much I've had to cling to that word during the ups and downs of pandemic church planting. I don't care how holy your preacher is. Everybody likes to preach to a full room. Like no preacher gets up on Sundays like, oh man, I hope we're just a quarter full today. That's my sweet spot right there. Like nobody, nobody does that. But through the correction of scripture, God has helped me realize that like Jesus, our most important ministry at Table Church is not to crowds. It's in the meaningful relationships that we cultivate. It's in the one-on-ones. It's in the small groups. It's in the, 
the ways that you all are connecting and having ministry within yourselves. That's how a people are formed. That's how God changes a people. I mean, I think this 30 minutes where I'm up here, I, I think it matters, but it ain't the most important thing that we do by a long shot. The point is that in that moment, just like in that moment in my dorm room in college as I was sitting at that picnic table, God used scripture to speak to me. And over the years, the Bible has become a connection to God for me in countless ways. I think it, it, God has spoken to me through the Bible in more ways than I can remember at this point. But it doesn't happen overnight. A lot of us expect, well, okay, I haven't touched my Bible in a year, but I'm going through a really hard thing. I'm going to open it up and read it for five minutes. Uh, nothing's happening. That's not how it works. I mean, it could. I'm not going to limit God. God could do that. And I'd, even if you haven't read the Bible in a year, I'd encourage you to go do it. But you know, more often than not, is it happens because you've developed, like over time, you've cultivated an ability to hear the voice of God in Scripture. God can break through to you at any moment, through anything. It doesn't even have to be the Bible, you know. But I think if we want to be people who can, who can transcend that, who can sense the voice of God, we need to be people who are involved and active and in the Bible as much as we can. Because I promise you, it comes out of a lifetime of loving Scripture. So get into the habit of digging in because someday you're going to need it. Someday you're going to need that Word of God. Right now you're too busy and it seems boring, but someday you're going to wish you had it. And when you need it, it's going to happen. The voice of God is going to leap off the page at you in just a critical moment. And it's going to mean the world to you. I know because it's happened to me a lot. Number four, the final way that we can read Scripture is this, as a source of direction in life. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Now, there have been times where God spoke through Scripture in ways that made it clear that Natalie and I were called to do something we didn't see coming. We've actually quit jobs twice in order to plant a church uh, and all sorts of other kind of crazy things in our marriage. But it's because we're, we're trying to discern the voice of God in his word. Um, I was on a trip in another country, and this country faces a lot of challenges and I was seeing some difficult things. I'd been there five or six times, but I was there for another trip, and uh, something happened on that trip. I was reading in Isaiah chapter 1, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit fell on me, and it changed the course of our lives. Let me read the passage from Isaiah 1 that I read. It says, Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Remember, I'm a worship pastor at a big church at this point. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Please the, plead the case of the widow. I don't know how an affluent American can read, if you're a Christian, can read those passages and not be at least a little bit like, oh boy. Like not at least a little bit like, oh God, help me. You know, help me. I'm a wretched man. Help me. And I had that moment there. All I can say is that that changed my life. It changed how I approach leading worship. It changed how I understand the life with God to be. And I said, God, help me to be a person who embodies justice for the poor, for the marginalized. Help me help the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. And it changed a lot of things. One of them, which has set us on a trajectory towards adoption in our family. But God did so much through that moment in our lives, I couldn't even explain. Reading God's word, reading the Bible as God's word can be dangerous. 
It can lead you to do things that change your life forever. But it's always worth it. God's word is a lamp for your feet and a light on your path, it says. It gives you direction in life, and sometimes that direction is not what you'd expect because the life with God is never boring. I've shared several stories where God's words changed my life, and I wanted to do that to be a bit vulnerable, not to virtue signal or see, look how much I read the Bible. I would hope that you'd expect me to do those things. Like, it shouldn't be that impressive, right? Oh, my pastor reads the Bible. Like, I do it because I want you to know it's possible. I want you to know it's real, that it happens, and that it can happen to you too. There's no magic wand. It happens, because I'm in, it happens a lot to me because I'm in the Word a lot. I love the Bible. If I'm not in it, I miss it because I believe that I can meet God in Scripture. It happens all the time. That's what I want for you too. That's what I want for this church. I want us to be a church of the book. I want us to bring our, our Bibles to church. I want us to open them and get in them and mark them up and read them and eat them, ingest them, make them part of us. That's what God wants for us. I want scripture to be a rhythm of your soul. Now, we have some great tools. If you're wondering, well, okay, I mean, you don't really need a tool. If you can read, you can, you can read the Bible. But there are ways that you can do it that are more helpful than others. We already talked about how there's better ways of doing it than others, right? And so one way to do it is through our discipleship pathway. We have a really, well, a bunch of really great resources. And if, you don't, haven't, if you've never looked at our pathway, just go to discipleship.guide. You can do that now on your phone if you want. Discipleship.guide. And uh, you'll see uh, all sorts of different kind of categories that, we, that you can explore in the pathway. In fact, I have some screenshots up here, I think. Um, and we've been having tech issues today. It's all right. We don't need those pictures. You can see it yourself. If you go to discipleship.guide, um, you'll see that there are different kind of categories. One of them is scripture. You can click on the scripture one, and there's resources in there that'll help you kind of learn how to start studying the Bible. Um, and you can do that on your own, but I want to say the best way to do it is to buddy up with somebody. Like say, hey, let's go through this pathway together. Start from the beginning, go to the end. If you do it, let us know. There's a form you fill out that you can start it with. Be sure to fill that form out so that we know that you're doing it so that we can kind of encourage you and that kind of thing. We'd love to know who's using the pathway. Um, but this is a tool that we've developed. Pastor Megan and I wrote it uh, because we want to be a church like this. We know that our best ministry is not to crowds. And we want the one-on-one -on -one moments to be powerful here. And so take a look. Also, we're going to do a scripture reading challenge together as a church. We're going to join together and read the same thing at the same time. It's going to start in a couple weeks on May 9th. We're going to read the book of Acts. We're going to have a little snippet that you can read every single day and some prayer prompts. It's going to take us all the way through Pentecost. Pentecost is that moment where the church was born, where uh, the Holy Spirit fell on the believers in the book of Acts. And so it's going to be really perfect for us. But I hope that you'll participate. And if you want to do it, uh, simply get your phone out and download the Wesleyan Discipleship app. The Wesleyan Discipleship app. Um, and when you do that, then it will have push notifications for you starting on May 9th that will include the text for the day as well as the prayer prompts. Bonus, Pastor Megan, uh, she works part-time with headquarters and she was integral in starting the, getting this discipleship app going as well as this uh, reading plan. And so 
be sure to get that app, and uh, we'll be talking about it more as we get closer to May 9th, but I think it's going to be really cool for us as a church to be walking through the same parts of Scripture together, um, hopefully talking a little bit about it. I'll send out some maybe weekly reflections about the readings and stuff like that, and um, of course, if you have any questions, feel free to let us know. That's why we're here. All right, so I hope that you'll join us. I hope that you'll consider jumping into the pathway. I hope you consider jumping in with the Bible reading challenge that we're going to be doing through the book of Acts, and I think it'll be a transformative time for us as a church.